Alrighty, everybody. Good afternoon. This is Guru and the Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast on a Tuesday afternoon as we uh, take a look back at week number nine in the NFL and um, start to prepare for week 10. We're starting to get into those uh, playoff races, feeling the pressure as we head into the home stretch. Wiz, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good, yeah. I mean, uh, basically it's a four-week sprint. Uh, Most weeks use uh, the first 13 weeks of the NFL season. So uh, basically it's a a four-week sprint here uh, to make the playoffs and uh, finish the season up strong. And uh, it always gets a little tricky this time of year with uh, some crucial bye weeks at the end of the year. And uh, if you're in, you know, you're trying to make a last-minute trade, I know we're partners in a league where – we're uh, talking some trade with uh, with a couple of teams, and uh, we'll see we'll, we'll see how it goes. But yeah, this is uh, very very interesting, and uh, you know you're just always worried also at this point as the weather gets a little colder and these cases are starting to pick up. It just seems like there's a little bit of an uptick with COVID positive uh, results, and uh, I just hope that doesn't really come into play as we get down to the uh, end of the uh, of the season. Yeah, I feel like at this point in time, the NFL's had pretty good <clears throat> control over that. Now, whether that remains, obviously, we just saw news today where Ben Roethlisberger was in close contact with Vance McDonnell. He's right next to his locker. He sat next to him on the plane, so he's going to have to test negative the next few days. You know, I was speaking to my daughter today uh, who goes to school uh, down south, and there's been a significant up, uptick in, in cases down there. Um, you know, this the, 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 this is going to be a concern, and it, it could potentially impact. As we saw last week with that uh, Green Bay-San uh, Francisco game, where a number of players were impacted uh, due to COVID. So we're going to have to watch that closely. I think you need to be prepared. And certainly the waiver wire is going to have to be utilized because there's going to be some opportunities around that. And, and, and we have a lot of players that are kind of coming back from injuries, going back on injuries. I mean, Christian McCaffrey got hurt again. Nick Chubb is due to come back. We don't know what's going on with Joe Mixon. Um, you know, so lots of question marks. Actually, it's interesting. In one of our leagues, I got a, a very fair uh, trade offer. You know, in this league, I'm 3-6. and six. I'm going to have to definitely win three out of the last four games to have any chance at the playoffs. And somebody came knocking on our door for Nick Chubb with, with a very fair offer today, uh, but something I just had to say no to. I feel, you know, you mentioned colder weather. Uh, we had a balmy weekend this past weekend. It's going to be a little bit cooler this weekend. But, uh, you know, as the, as the season wears on here, no OBJ. Uh, you certainly got to feel that Nick Chubb is going to be a big factor. You know, this guy's in control, uh, going to make a playoffs in, in this particular league. And, you know, he's looking for a bell cow back to finish out the year. And I'm just not willing to do it for uh, even, even for a very fair offer. It's going to have to be something that really wows me. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, I know. There's uh yeah, I think as it gets down to this year, you know, it's a little, you know, there's, there's more, there's teams that are more apt to make these type of trades where they kind of take any chance. Let's say they're, you know, they're three and six or they're four and five and they, you know, you have to kind of run the table or uh, certainly win three of the last four games. And, you know, maybe they were more likely to stand pat, but now like considering what they have to do, you know, more, more, more likely to take a chance. So I think uh, a lot of leagues will see those type of trades and, uh, and see how it works out. All right. So let's, um, let's kind of look back a little bit at this past week. Um, and, and let's start in the AFC and, and we'll start with the two teams um, that played last night um, in the New England Patriots and the, uh, the New York Jets. The Jet offense showing a little life here with uh, new play calling, taking the play calling away from Adam Gase. Um, passing it on to his offensive coordinator. And I think, you know, very different. They got the ball down the field a little bit, certainly with a backup quarterback against a decent secondary. Uh, Cam Newton looks like he still can't throw the ball. He looks like he's shot shot putting the ball out there. And somehow Jacoby Myers uh, was able to have a big game, uh, despite the fact that some of those throws were a little wobbly. You know, let, let, let's start with the Jets. Uh, do you think some of these players can be a little bit more relevant? Uh, Sam, I know they're off this week coming up. Uh, did, did last night show you anything with some of those receivers? You know, what's your, what's your thought process on the Jets? Because I think, I think Mims has shown some promise whenever 
uh, crowd has been on the field. Are these players potentially relevant as the season wears on here? I know the Jets season is lost, but can these players help you in fantasy? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the ones that you can look at are are crowd. You know, the three receivers, Crowder, Perriman, and Mims. Uh, you know, I, it looks to me like the Jets are just going to go with a split backfield. Like they, you know, I, I just don't see them. Maybe the last very last few games of the season, maybe they'll give P. Ryan the uh, the you know the the bulk of the carries. But it looks like you know Gore is going to stick around, and I don't I don't really trust any of the running backs and the tight ends and the quarterbacks are just, you know, completely, um, you know, irrelevant as far as fantasy concerned. And Crowder is a good player. And um, his his problem is being able to stay on the field. And Perriman and, and Mims, I mean, the, I think yesterday was the first game. Last night was the first, I don't know, I think, yeah, I guess it was last night was the first time all three of those receivers, yeah, because Mims started off, he wasn't playing. And then Crowder got hurt, so um, and Perriman missed some games. So, for the fact that all three of those receivers out there look good, uh, certainly they're on the radar, and certainly the pecking order is still Crowder, Perriman, and then Mims. But um, certainly it's something to keep your eye on. Um, uh, and another thing that seems very disconcerting, I'm sure there are people who um, started the Patriots defense. And they had no pass rush whatsoever. And uh, Flacco looked great. So just something to, to concern yourself with is, you know, um, the Pats' lack of pass rush and being able to put uh, pressure on the pass. And Flacco was throwing the ball all over the field against them. So another thing to keep your eye on is uh, once the Patriots, you know, defense starts going downhill combined with their bad offense, uh, there's not going to be too many players at all that's relevant on that team either. And I think you talked about uh, Cam Newton a little bit. And, you know, he, he makes himself relevant uh, given that he can run the ball. He, he punched in a couple of rushing touchdowns yesterday. You know, I personally don't own him in any league. Um, I, I'm so unimpressed with him as a passer. I, I, you know, to me, he looks like he could be finished as a passer in this league. He really does. He just it does, the, the throwing motion just looks god awful. Yeah, I think is you know I, he doesn't really attempt to throw the ball downfield much. I mean, uh, you know, a few times a game. I mean, it's not that the Patriots really have any downfield threats uh, on their roster really anymore. So it's it's tough to see. But yeah, there's nothing really to like. And as far as those rushing touchdowns, it's like really random. They have to almost be down inside the five yard line and. You know, and you know, it's just it's a, it's a situation to completely avoid. And uh, I know one thing that we talked about is um, the lack of usage of James White. I mean, he has just become a complete afterthought, game dependent, and even on games where they, you know, showing that like yesterday, last night, where they were, you know, coming from behind, he still, you know, didn't get a, wasn't on the field a lot. So. James White has really become just a, a drop candidate, I think, in, in, in all formats. Yeah, it's not good. It's not, it's not a good situation. And uh, you have to watch out for the injuries as well. I know Sony Michelle is, you know, sl- slated to return shortly, but um, you know, Damian Harris got hurt yesterday. Uh, Burkhead was the bigger beneficiary of that. So that, that running situation needs to be watched. Uh, you know, within the division, um, you know, this division is going to come down to the Bills and the Dolphins. Um, both teams are playing well. Uh, the Bills decided to go with a heavy, heavy pass uh, a- action against that lousy secondary of the Seattle Seahawks, and Josh Allen really lit them up. Every pass catcher was able to take advantage of that abysmal uh, secondary for the for the Seattle Seahawks um, and the Miami Dolphins. Again, Tua Tua played a better game this time around. That defense continues to make big plays. They they had another special teams touchdown going down to Arizona. They win that game. You know, again, uh, I, I was questioning the decision. I still. I'm a little bit wary about, you know, throwing Tua into this mix, but he certainly showed a lot more poise in this particular game. I think one thing to watch for the Dolphins is Preston Williams got hurt in that ball game, so it takes away another weapon. But but that, that division is coming down to one of those two teams, and right now Buffalo is... Uh, has, has, has got the lead, and they chose to stay away from the run, but, you know, quite frankly, I think Devin Singletary has just become completely ineffective in this offense. We've talked about this for a number of weeks now, and I think as the season wears on here, Zach Moss is definitively the running back that you're going to want to own um, for the Buffalo Bills kind of moving forward. 
Yeah, I mean, the Dolphins, it's an impressive win. That's an impressive win. They're going on the road. They don't have Gaskin. They don't have Breida. They're, they're using running backs that haven't really played at all. Um, uh, Preston Williams got hurt. And, um, you know, they, they went on the road, and they beat a really high-scoring offense, and uh, they won a good game. And two two looked terrific, his decision-making, his quickness. Uh, there's a lot of things to like about that player and. uh yeah, I think, you know, Miami has got themselves the quarterback of the future for the next 10-plus years, uh, assuming they could resign him when his rookie contract is up. But Tua looks absolutely terrific, and uh, Miami is a really a, a team to keep your eye on over these next couple of years with a lot of good young players. And, uh, and, and Buffalo, I, you know, I agree about Zach Moss. I think as this weather gets colder, I think you're going to see a lot more ground and pound out of Buffalo. Uh, and I think that's where Zach Moss will really, really show his skills, which is a tough, hard-nosed brother pushing the pile. And, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, Josh Allen was able to throw the ball all over the place. And uh, we'll get to the Seahawks when we start talking the NFC, but that's another story with their disastrous secondary. But Buffalo looks good in uh, – yeah, I mean, they're one of the few teams, if not the only team in the AFC, that maybe can match Kansas City in kind of a shootout type of game. I know they didn't in that rain-soaked game, but, uh, you know, they, they, they can put up points. Um, so, you know, it's a combination of their offense being good and Seattle's defense just horrific. But, yeah, a lot, a lot of things to like about Miami and Buffalo. So you, you, you mentioned young, uh, young, young uh, quarterbacks, and uh, I know you wanted to sprinkle this player in in a few of your DraftKings plays, uh, plus his wide receiver in DJ Shark. Uh, so we're talking about Jake Luton, and, and, and he had a really terrific debut against the Houston Texans, um, getting the ball down the field. He ran a touchdown in. DJ Shark became relevant. I told you in the previous week, you know, Shark had shaken his head, which again, it's not a good look on the field, but a bunch of times he basically looked back at Gardner Minshew saying, you know, what's going on here, dude? Um, but what a difference it was this past week for Jacksonville. You know, they, they had that game. They had the ability to actually put that game into overtime with a two-point conversion that they were unable to get at the end of the game. But, uh, you know, what I, I know you like the player uh, this week. Uh, you know, is this a change of guard here? I mean, there's a lot of talk about Trevor Lawrence and, and tanking for Trevor. Trevor, the Jets are in the lead for that right now. But, you know, Luton, a six-round pick, big dude, big arm, got the ball down the field with that 73-yard touchdown to get things rolling against Houston. Uh, were you imp- I'm certainly – you must have won a little bit of money with that with those calls, I'm guessing. Uh, but very impressive nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, as far as my love him, leave him at quarterback, I had Luton as my real dark horse quarterback. Um, and he, you know, he didn't let me down. And I stacked a, a few of my drafting lineups with Luton and Shark, and I did, I did make some money. Um, the price was really right on him. Uh, I'm not sure if they've, uh, if they've looked at that situation, DraftKings, and they've changed the salary on, on that player. We'll have to see about that. But yeah, um, yeah, I think, I think the Jags are just going to roll with him. I mean, I think, uh, there's no reason not to at this point. You know, sometimes you, you, you're not quite sure what you have, and the only way the judge is to put the player out there. Um, the only thing I would say is I wouldn't get, expectations I would have to keep them realistic because the Texans defense is horrendous I mean they are so confused in that secondary so I think he played well I think we'll have some moments I think if you have DJ Shark it's a good thing that he's out there uh but well I'm going to take the wait and see approach because I just know how bad the Texans secondary is but uh he looked good, and I think from a Jag standpoint, you kind of know what you have with Minshew. I think just leave that player out there now with Luton and, uh, and see how it goes the rest of the year. All right, I'm going to switch gears here a little bit to two offenses, which at this point in time, I literally trust no player on either of these offenses kind of moving forward. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I'm, I'm really at the point of no return where I'm starting to become extremely frustrated. I own Marquise Brown in a couple of leagues. I think Phillip Rivers played terrible. And when I look at the offenses of, of, of both the Indianapolis Colts and the Baltimore Ravens, I have no confidence in whatsoever in any player to start right now. Just, you know, they've got to show me a lot more 
uh, uh, guilty until proven innocent, and vice versa. Two offenses that I actually have a lot of uh, confidence in, one that was off this week and one that's continued because you, you mentioned their defense being terrible, and I just think players have been able to stay on the field. Deshaun Watson is playing well, but confidence in playing uh, you know, te- Houston Texan players right now, confidence in Cincinnati Bengal, that passing game, Burrow looks good, but no confidence in Baltimore, Indianapolis. Am I am I overstepping my bounds here, or do you think I'm exaggerating things, or or do you think I'm making a point that, you know, I'm onto something and you really got to stay away? Because I'll tell you what, I'm sick of being a Marquise Brown owner right now. No, I mean, I agree. I think the skilled players on the Ravens is maddening to own. Um, you know, I know Mark Andrews came in, um, you know, ranked as probably a fourth, third, fourth, fifth, whatever, uh, at tight end. He's just not getting the ball. Marquise Brown as well. Um, and as far as that running back, look, unless you're a league that has like a combined running back where like you have the Ravens running backs, no matter who the heck they put out there, that's great. But in most leagues, 99% of the leagues, you have to have individual players. And it is impossible to guess who they're going to use at the goal line, who's going to get the majority of the carries. If Lamar Jackson's again, like this week, they had like 35 carries, and it was like 14 Lamar Jackson, 12 um, J.K. Dobbins, and like I think maybe even 10. Uh, so it was like 36 carries for uh, for Andrews, and it's impossible to figure out what the the usage is going to be, who's going to be the goal line. So I'm with you. Um, you know, I guess he, you know Lamar Jackson is a start almost every single week, but. I don't trust anything on that offense. Uh, I agree with you. And as far as the Colts go, yeah, I don't like anything I see there either. Rivers just does not look good to me. And somebody who has so much equity in Jonathan Taylor, this is just becoming so frustrating. He got off to a good start, had the touchdown, then had the fumble, benched him. Then it was more Jordan Wilkins. So, Maddening, frustrating, uh, you know, it just, it's all, all of those things. Um, very, very difficult to feel good about owning any of the offensive players on either of those two teams. All right. So good to see that you uh, share my uh, share my views on that. Um, so one team I'm not really going to talk about because they continue to roll on, and that's the Kansas City Chiefs. They get, they get to rest uh, – all those offensive weapons. It's a team that's clicking on all cylinders. Um, let's talk about the most snake bit team in the AFC, and that's got to be the, the the Los Angeles Chargers, who found a new way to lose a game. That was a really tough call. I, I, I guess in the end, it was probably the right call, but it was it was so close. I mean, Justin Herbert deserves a lot more. He's to me, he's a top seven or eight fantasy quarterback right now. They have weapons on that side of the ball. I can't believe we're actually discussing that Kalen Balazs could actually be a relevant fantasy player because it seems like the coaching staff does not have a lot of confidence, despite the injury to Justin Jackson early in that game, to hand the keys to to, to, to Josh Kelly right now. And they actually, here's a guy off the street, signed off the practice squad, and basically gets inserted into the lineup and ends up having a big game. So... Wow, what, do you, what are we doing with the Chargers right now with that running back situation? I know we liked it. I mean, Eckler looks like he's going to be out a lot more. Are, are, are people going to actually go out and, and pick up Kalen Balazs this week? Is that something to have confidence in? Well, maybe some people are, but not me. Um, but I, I'll say, I just want to say one thing before I get into the specific players. You know what I think the NFL should do? I think this would be hilarious. Is like... The, you know, maybe the day of the Super Bowl, like I know the Super Bowl starts usually nowadays, like, I don't know, 6 o'clock, 6.30. You know what they should do on Super Bowl Sunday this year? They should have a 1 o'clock game, the Chargers against the Falcons. That game would be so entertaining with all of these great skilled players and see which team 
actually can figure out a way to lose the game more instead of trying to win the game. Two of these teams combined should have about eight more wins, and uh, I think it would be amazing, hilarious, and fantastic to watch, you know, the day of the Super Bowl, uh, like Chargers versus Falcons, just to see uh, what would happen in that game. But to get back to your point about the Chargers, there's a lot of guys, you know, yeah, unlike the other teams we mentioned, and they have a losing record, yeah, you know, you got to feel good about Herbert, you got to feel good about Keenan Allen, uh, Mike Williams is 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 doing well uh, as far as the running back situation goes. Um, I don't even know what happened there. I mean, Justin Jackson is that something? At first, I read that it happened in the first quarter. Then I heard it happened in warmups before the game started. Go listen. I know people are going to look at that line by Belage and, and go hog wild with free agent money this week. But I don't know. I've seen enough in, uh, to know of the player that. Um, Someone else is going to spend their move money on him. Not it, it just won't be me. I just don't trust the player. I know for a fact that Justin Jackson and Joshua Kelly are light years better than him as a player. So um, I know Belage had a good line score, and it was kind of incredible that guy comes off the practice squad and he becomes the guy that they trust the most. But um, Belage is not for me. What about you? Yeah, no, no, I will not be involved in that process. No, absolutely not. I'm just praying that at some point in time, uh, Eckler comes back, though. It seems like that's going to be a much longer time away from the team, and uh, it's a tough situation for sure. Which, 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 by the way, I think they continue to lean on that passing game, which each and every week has been uh, you know, one of the better passing games to be a part of. So speaking of frustrating passing games, um, you know, I would say after the NFL draft, I definitely scratched my head a little bit when when the Raiders took Henry Ruggs as the first receiver in this draft. I, th- I think, you know, while we might have liked the player, we thought there were better wide receivers than him in this draft. And they're not even using Henry Ruggs at all. I mean, at this point in time, I don't even know what to say. You know, I was very high on the Raiders coming into the season. I took the over at seven wins. Uh, they now have five wins, but... You know, you talked about Gruden maybe stuck in some old ways, but, you know, they found a way to win this last game. They are way too talented on the offensive side of the ball. John Gruden has to wake up and get with the program here. There are way too much talented players on this offense, but I feel like at times I'm watching, you know, a time warp where they're just not doing things that they should be doing. So very frustrated on that point. And in this division, though, a guy that should have been taken earlier in this draft and finally had a big game. Yes, it was against the Atlanta Falcons, but first time over 100 yards, Jerry Judy made a couple of unbelievable moves in this game. I thought he was the best route runner uh, coming into the NFL draft. He made a couple of incredible moves uh, over 100 yards again against the Falcons. But and, uh, you know, Denver lost Alberto. So I think Locke will continue to be laser focused on on both Jerry Judy and Noah Font. So you got to be happy about that. But I, I'm, I'm just completely befuddled by the way the Raiders run their offense. I don't like anything I see. Yeah, I didn't like the pick. Um, I, don't, I, I think John, I just think Rudin is like in his 1980s time warp some way, in some ways and like you're, you have a unique player like Darren Waller, and they, they were they're just more concerned with like running these tricky formations, and they're getting, looking to get rid of the ball quickly. Like you have a player like Darren Waller, you've got to put him on matchups against a safety or a linebacker, and throw the ball to him a few times way down the field to make big plays. I, I just don't like the play calling. It lends itself to the, to this West Coast offense that you know maybe was tricky in the 1980s, but, like, defenses have kind of caught up to it, and, like, you have all these electric players, and just the the offense is just, I don't know, I, I know they're winning these games, but still, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. Uh, it's disappointing. Henry Ruggs, you can never have that player in your roster because it's a waste of time. You're going to have to guess when he's going to have four catches for 100 yards and a touchdown. You're going to have to completely guess because the, the usage is not good and you just can't trust the player. So looking at that team, you know, it's really just – it's just Waller 
for consistency, even though he should be putting up bigger box score lines than the five for 60 and six for 40 and things like that. And, and Jacobs as well. After that, it's complete guesswork, whether it's going to be Aguilar or Hunter Renfro will have a decent game. Or like I said, it will be Henry Ruggs. Um, so, disappointing with that, and I don't see how that's going to change. Jerry Judy was on, I think, both our lists this past week is uh, a love him guy, and uh, he got 10 targets the week before, and he just went crazy this past week. I said over and over again when we were analyzing the rookies that Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb were the two most refined receivers in this draft, and uh, they're both going to be terrific players, and uh, yeah, I think Judy is going to be um, a force to be reckoned with, um, you know, down the stretch and uh, with some of these targets, you know, not being there and uh, and the injuries to some of the other players. Uh, yeah, he's an absolute must start every single week, Jerry Judy. Uh, plus the fact I should add, uh, I think that Melvin Gordon situation is finito. I mean, he looks terrible. He absolutely looks terrible there. I mean, and we, we warned everybody about this many weeks early in the season we didn't like the player, but that looks like it's moving. You know, if Philip Lindsay stays healthy, uh, he is going to be the back to own here. That, that's the one problem. He 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 keeps uh, limping off the field now and again. Yeah, John Elway is proof that you could be a great player, but aren't quite sure which guys are going to play great because his draft analysis and trades and free agent signings and all of that stuff just it's it hasn't it hasn't been good. It no. has not been good at all. It hasn't. So, uh, and I and I don't want to you know short short sell the Pittsburgh Steelers who for the first time in their history are eight zero, but they've really snuck by three games in a row. Mysteriously, you know, uh, John Connor is not really. I don't know. He wasn't even on the field that much this week. I, I, you know, are you becoming a little bit concerned with that situation? You know, Ben Roethlisberger got nicked up in this game with his knees, plus the COVID situation. So something to watch for the coming week. But I don't know, Connor. For whatever reason, he started off the season very, very hot, and he's kind of, I don't know, just seems to be relegated to a more secondary role at the moment. He was only on the field for 40% of the snaps this week, which was, like I said, very puzzling. Yeah, it was a strange game. I liked the Cowboys in this game. Yeah, you did. You did. (laughs) With the points in this game. I just felt it was going to be a sleepy game for Pittsburgh, uh, playing off the two games against the Titans on the road, the Ravens on the road. How are they going to be emotionally fired up going against the Cowboys and their fifth string quarterback? So, um, and I don't know. I just maybe, maybe he got banged up in those two games. Maybe they wanted to give him a little bit of a breather. Um, and um, and they, they sprinkled in the Snell, they sprinkled in McFarlane. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I wouldn't lose all confidence in James Conner, but if that continued over another game or two, I'd be really worried as it got down to the fantasy football players about usage of that player. And, uh, and as far as the wide receivers go, um, you know, it, it, they're all good players. Uh, it's tough to try and figure out which guy is going to be the guy that is kind of the pedestrian four for 30. Um, and then which are going to be the guys that, you know, are going to have that seven for a hundred and a touchdown. And this past week it was Juju who went crazy. And, and it was kind of Deontay Johnson who was pedestrian, but that seems to flip flop every week. But honestly, if you have Claypool, if you have Juju and if you have Deontay Johnson, you got to kind of roll them out there every week and kind of hope for the best. Speaking of rolling players out there, so it looks like Nick Chubb is going to return this week. How confident would you be in, in putting Nick Chubb out there? You know, we know we know what the Browns want to do, especially now with, with Beckham being gone. It, it makes it more imperative uh, for them to attack with short passing game and, and, and the running game. Uh, would you be confident in putting Nick Chubb out there as soon as this week, or is it a wait-and-see approach for you? Yeah, Nick Chubb, the Browns are playing the Texans this week, right? That is correct. Yeah, it's at Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. If I'm doing whatever Cleveland does, if Cleveland puts him out there. I'm putting him out there. There's n- there's no waiting, no holding back. This is an incredible matchup, and uh, Nick Chubb is one of the three best running backs in the National Football League from the standpoint of running the football. He's not the pass catcher that you know a bunch of these guys are, like McCaffrey and some of these other guys. But honestly, in terms of just running the football. 
aside from maybe a healthy Ezekiel Elliott, I, I put him at the very, very top of the class in the NFL. So to answer your question, I think he's going to come back, and I think he's going to roll, and he's going to have a big game week one right off the bat against the Texans. So, yes. All right, terrific. That sounds good. Now, anything else I missed in the AFC that you want to cover, or you want to, we, we can move on to the NFC here? Yeah, I mean, you know, good stuff. I, I just think the Dolphins continue to be a story. We were excited about them going into the draft. We were excited about them post-draft. And, you know, to see them in a real playoff race this year uh, is going to be exciting. So uh, I'm not a Dolphins fan, but I'm kind of rooting for them this year. I'd like to see, like, a kind of a changing of the guard. And uh, I'd like to see Miami get in there. So I think that'll be interesting. And uh, a lot of players in that team that are kind of easy to root for, uh, especially tour and that whole situation. So yeah, keeping your eye on the dolphins. All right, great. So let's, uh, let's move on to the NFC and uh, the hottest player in the fantasy landscape right now is your Minnesota Vikings, Dalvin cook. He is decimating opponents at the moment. Uh, and it certainly seems like the Minnesota Vikings are, are willing to kind of pull, pull the reins back a little bit in terms of the passing game, which is definitely taking a step back the last few weeks and willing to say, Hey, we're going to run the football. We're going to run it with the guy who's when he's on the field is the best player on the football field. And we're going to roll with it. And that's the way the Vikings look like they want. And look, the Vikings could become relevant here. They, they are playing inspired football. Um, I think they are better. I think they're better than Chicago bears because the bears offense is terrible. I don't think they can catch the green Bay Packers. Detroit looks like they don't want to have any part in winning this division so let's do you do you expect this to continue or or do they revert back to a little bit more of that passing game that you know early in the season where minnesota was basically one of the top teams in the nfl and getting the ball down the field to both uh, adam thielen and jefferson or is this the new recipe for success in minnesota i think it really hasn't changed i think this is really what they want to do they want to ground and pound you with Cook and Madison, and then off that, they want to go deep to, to feeling it in Jefferson. That's the way Cook Cousins plays best. That's the way the Vikings play best. And they really want to make sure they, they give a lot of carries to those running backs, and and rightfully so. And, uh, look, it's kind of like these other teams know it's coming, and they just can't do anything about it. And Minnesota is not going to change off that. And uh, I think that's perfect for them to be able to, you know, ground and pound you and then make big, big plays in the passing game, chunk plays to Jefferson and Thielen. And uh, that's what they want to do. And, you know, it's different. You know, if the Vikings can get on top of a team, their defense can play a little bit better uh, if they can make the other team one-dimensional. And that's what the Vikings kind of been able to do, kind of like bending and bending and bending but not breaking. Uh, Like Stafford was moving them up and down the field. But then when they got into the red zone, I threw a couple of crucial interceptions. So that's kind of be has to be the way the Vikings have to play. Bend, no break defense, ground and pound you, and hit some big plays through the passing game. And within this division, I mean, Green Bay has looked very good. It looks like Alan Lazard's going to return. I would say if he's available on, on anybody's waiver wire, I, I think I think they're looking for a steadier presence. And I know uh, uh, Valdez Scantling had a couple of touchdowns in this past week, but I think Lazard will be a good a, a good con- contribu- contributor as we kind of wear down here uh, for the rest of the season. He may be available on some waiver wires. I, I'd make sure that was not the case. Um, Detroit just I don't know. Matt Patricia has to go as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Matt Stafford is not really fulfilled what we thought he would do this year. Kenny Galladay can't stay on the field. The rest of those receivers aren't very good, although Hawkinson is becoming a a steadier presence in this offense. And speaking of uh, offense and inconsistencies, now you add a concussion to David Montgomery, so I don't know what they're going to do with the running game, but the Chicago Bear passing game still is is a very inconsistent operation and, and something that I would not have, you know, again, Alan Robinson, great player. Darnell Mooney has come on, but I have no confidence in anything that I see in this offense. And, you know, if they lose uh, Montgomery this week, it'll be very interesting to see what happens to the Chicago bears. Yeah. I mean, the bears are who we thought they are. I mean, they're just, the offense is just inept, predictable, um, the quarterback play is horrendous. 
the Detroit situation is different. It's just Galladay is such a great player, and he just hasn't been able to stay on the field, and it's kind of limited to them to, to what they can do. But you know, if you have a, a, you know a dynamic duo of kind of Galladay with Swift out there. And T.J. Hawkinson is a good, good young tight end. You know, there's a lot more things to do, but without Galladay, kind of limited. So that's that's been the downfall of the Lions this year, at least from a fantasy standpoint, and certainly hurting Matt Stafford. But uh, the Bears, you know, some of those guys, you know, Robinson's rock solid and Mooney's coming on, and Miller will have his game here and there. Montgomery has just not done anything really his sophomore year. So uh, kind of predictable stuff from uh, from those teams because uh, the Bears' play calling is terrible and the Lions are kind of limited without Galladay. Now I'm going to talk about a player who uh, has really emerged the last couple of weeks uh, in, in the NFC, and it's in the NFC South, and that's Curtis Samuel, who has had two tremendous efforts in a row on a team where there is a lot of offensive talent. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey came back this week. He really left off. Um, he, he came back right where he left off uh, until he got injured, and, and, and he's probably not going to play this week. But Curtis Samuel is a player that's becoming a more integral part of this offense. There's three good receivers here, and Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore in addition, but they're finding ways to get Curtis Samuel the ball. And again, I think it's it's probably more definitive. His role, actually, without Christian McCaffrey is probably more solidified in him touching the ball. But it seems like, you know, the the, the, the this... I think you said this uh, earlier in the conversation that this coaching staff has really understood the player. You know, we kind of thought he would take off last year. He had a couple of okay games, but two huge games in a row by Curtis Samuel. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's probably still on some waiver wires out there, but you can't help but notice how, how big a part of this offense he was the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I hated the way he was used last year, and I wasn't particularly happy the way he was used the first few games this year. But, um, you know, they're they're figuring out that he's a terrific player. There's something about these Ohio State players. I don't know what it is. They just are are just – they come to the NFL and they are really ready to play. And and Curtis Samuel was so dynamic in his game against Kansas City and used in in kind of different ways. And – you have to get a player of that ability, the ball. And uh, look, he's a different type of player, right? He's not, you know, the, the type of player that Robbie Anderson is or DJ Moore, but he's a different, versatile player that you've got to figure out how to get the ball to him in jet sweeps, handoffs out of the backfield, screens, and the passing game, and, and, uh, and using him all over the field in the. Uh, he has a real chance to be a fantasy factor come the last five, six games of the uh, of the NFL season into the NFL, into the fantasy football playoffs. So, agree with you on that. All right, so I couldn't have been any more wrong on my call of the week this week uh, <laughs> with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who. I fall. I fell asleep. I, I, this is, uh, I, you know, uh, I, I'm going to disclose that I fell asleep. I, I had woken up very early on Sunday morning. I fell asleep uh, very early. I saw one touchdown in this game. It was seven nothing, and I woke up and I saw it was thirty one to nothing, and I thought I was having a bad dream, and I couldn't believe what you know. Again, I went back and watched the game then. And we know Tom Brady historically does not like to get punched in the face. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers set a record for least amount of rushing attempts in a ball game. But every time I watched Tom Brady in this ballgame, this New Orleans Saints, I don't know what was going on in the offensive line of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The this New Orleans Saints were possessed defensively in this game. They came after Brady hard. This offense looked brutal. Uh, I couldn't believe that they were actually still on the field late in the game. Uh, Bruce Arians was almost punishing them. But what a shock in terms of how badly they, they were just decimated at home, had no say in the matter. And then this is, by the way, with a with a New Orleans Saint team, which still, I mean, they got a lot out of Taysom Hill this week. Drew Brees still isn't, I'm not buying Drew Brees as a fantasy guy right now. They pretty much bottled up uh, Kamara in this game. Uh, Mike Thomas was ineffective in his return. But Tampa Bay just got demolished on the defensive side of the ball by the New Orleans Saints. Uh, you know, do you have some fears here moving forward with Tom Brady? Is this... 
as the season wears on, is, is this a concern for you? Because I know there's a few people that have kind of knocked on my door and said, I don't know if I can trust Tom Brady right now. Do you agree with that sentiment, or is this kind of a one-off disaster that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will have to bounce back from? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that, you know, Bruce Arians has got to start taking a little bit more responsibility for some of these things that are going on here. And I, it didn't ever, it didn't seem to me that Tampa Bay ever adjusted to what the Saints were doing to them. And uh, they had to throw more short passes, quick three-step drops, instead of the same type of pass plays over and over and over again. And the Saints pass rush, once they got such a lead and they kind of knew that Tampa Bay had become one-dimensional, they were just bull-rushing Brady and getting to him or pressuring him or, you know, making him throw the ball earlier than he really wanted to. And they just didn't adapt to what was going on in the game. And uh, and I, I, I think that's kind of Bruce Arians' fault. I'm okay with Brady. But I'll tell you a funny story about this past week. It, it just made me laugh. Um, because, you know, in fantasy football, we all think that we're, we're just smarter than everyone else. But I have, in one league that I'm against you in, I have the Tampa Bay defense and the Saints defense. So the Saints are at home. The Saints, I mean, the Tampa Bay Bucks were at home. Tampa Bay has a better defense. Tampa Bay has better stats. Tampa Bay has Antonio Brown coming back. And I'm looking at it, and CBS is projecting the Saints defense to have more points than Tampa Bay. And I'm not, I don't care really what the projections are. I'm just looking at it, and I'm starting Tampa Bay. I don't care what I'm thinking about. So what, what is the response to this? Is this person, like, drunk when they're doing, like, and sure enough, Look what happened in the game. I'm just wondering what the heck is going on out there. Maybe I don't know. I should start paying more attention, like turn to the to the projections of the CBS. But uh, that that was incredible, and uh, I, I just feel in all seriousness, getting back to the game itself, that. Bruce Arian just didn't change anything at halftime. There were like no adjustments. It was just the same play. And if Brady had a chance to throw it, maybe he was making some completions. But um, there was no adjustment. They didn't throw enough screen passes. They didn't do enough in the short passing game uh, to to move the ball. And uh, he's got to make some better adjustments at halftime and what's going on in the game. That's what I have to say about that. All right, so, uh, you know, yeah, I, I mean, I'm in complete agreement. I, I don't know. And, and it's not like they don't have the weapons to throw those short passes, by the way. I mean, Chris Godwin has to be utilized in that role. Even even guys like Scotty Miller and Antonio Brown now, I mean, they have the offensive weapons to do it. I don't know what was going on with Mike Evans in this game. It just was a just complete disaster. I, I, I just... I mean, sometimes you got to get the ball to Godwin, and he's such a tough, good runner. Like, just get out to him, and then let, and then see what he can do. You know, get a few guys in front of him, and 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 you know, throw a bubble screen, throw some short screens, throw some short passing game, and let the guys do the work. But every play was the same single play. So uh, Bruce Arians should stop worrying about uh, who Brady's looking at, and if he didn't throw the ball enough to Evans, he's got to start adjusting at halftime to what the other team is doing. Otherwise, uh, Tampa Bay is not going to get to where they need to get to. All right, I want to talk about another player uh, who's actually almost as on fire. Pretty much the last, I think, last four or five weeks, I think he scored a touchdown in, in every single week, and that's Christian Kirk. And Christian Kirk and, and uh, Kyla Murray were actually teammates uh, at Texas A&M. They're pretty good friends, and they're teammates once again with the Arizona Cardinals. And this is not not in any way suggesting that Christian Kirk is taking over uh, DeAndre Hopkins' spot in his offense as the number one receiver, but it's hard not to notice the damage that Christian Kirk has been inflicting uh, week in and week out. Uh, you know, I think he's up to six touchdowns now this year. He missed a couple of games early in the year, and a few of my leagues, believe it or not, he was he was actually dropped, uh, and I, I benefited from that in, pick, in picking the player up, and he's been red hot since he's returned. Uh, but, you know, you can't not like what you see from this offense. Uh, Kyla Murray has been tremendously effective, both as a passer and a runner. Uh, you know, this past week, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, I think, is still struggling with an injury. So maybe that's what's helping uh, uh, Christian Kirk a lot. But boy, oh boy, this is a hot player right now. Um, and, you know, I think you have to have full confidence in putting Christian Kirk out there week in and week out. He's become a very viable force in this offense. 
Yeah, I think the the biggest thing when I watched Arizona is their offensive line has been very, very good. I mean, a real weak spot and uh, something that was a concern. And Murray's back there, and, you know, he's – yeah, sometimes he, he has design runs, and sometimes he's able to get out of the pocket. But a lot of times he's back there, and he's able to survey the field and survey the field and make big plays. And their offensive line has played very well, a lot better than I thought. And, uh, yeah, I think all of those players on the offense – every single week are fantasy relevant and uh, and have to be used. I think this is a week that uh, the no running game or letting Russ Cook uh, kind of backfired on, uh, on on the Seattle Seahawks against the Bills this week. They were playing from behind. Uh, the Bills' defense came to play. Russell Wilson turned the ball over a bunch of times. The pass rush of the Bills was effective. They sacked. Uh, Wilson, that the running game was ineffective. You know, missing missing Chris Carson, missing Carlos Hyde. Um, you know, I, I think I think this offense will get back to it, no question about it. But this was the one game where they actually took a little bit of a back seat. And, and you know, it's frustrating sometimes owning a guy like Tyler Lockett, who two weeks ago, you know, had that monster game. In the last two weeks, is more pedestrian efforts. Uh, Metcalf has become the bigger part of the offense, but. Look, it changes from game to game. Uh, I think you could still have full confidence to start these players. But, yeah, interesting to see that they, uh, you know, bumping up against the little wall here, the Seattle Seahawks, and and let's see if they can get things straightened out here. You know, the one thing that was interesting in this game is, you know, we talked about Greg Olson being nicked up a little bit coming into this game. Maybe Will Disley shows up. The guy that actually showed up was Jacob Hollister, who actually caught like six or seven balls in this game. So I, I don't know if there's something going on there at tight end. I'm not sure. But he was the guy that was the beneficiary of this week. Yeah, I think, you know, yeah, Russ Wilson is an MVP candidate, and we know DK Metcalf and Lockett and that dynamic dual wide receiver. But at the end of the day, they have to have Chris Carson in there to get those tough yards and, and, and take some pressure off Russ Wilson because, you know, it, their defense is so bad that they got to take some time off the clock and run the ball and, and chew up some clock and make some tough yards. And they really miss Chris Carson. I mean, you know, look, for a game here, a game there, can Russell Wilson win the game with that passing game by himself? Yes. But over the long haul against a good team, um, they need Chris Carson in there. So I don't know. I saw something early that he's going to practice week and this week and probably will play, but they got to get those tough yards. They got to be able to run. They got to be able to take some clock off uh, some, you know, use some time of possession because that defense is just horrendous. They can't stop anybody. Well, there is a team that's coming off of a bye week and they have struggled a little bit in terms of offensive consistency is this a week where at home the Los Angeles Rams, who had an opportunity to rest this week, are they licking their chops? And is this a is this a big week for Jared Goff and the passing game against the Seattle defense? Yeah, I, I think it could be. And I, I'm, the more I think about it, I'm really thinking that I'm going to have some views and and some uh, draft kings and some you know interesting things to say uh, when we do the weekend stuff uh, on some of these Ram offensive players and uh, one guy in particular I'm thinking about is Tyler Higby who's been a, a pretty big disappointment um, a guy who is probably ranked between 5 and 8 at the tight end position but if you remember it was kind of late in the season when he took off and exploded I know he's been hurt the last couple of weeks but it Coming off a of bye week, I just have this feeling that you're going to see the reemergence of Tyler Higby and uh, and uh, and some big stuff from Cooper Cup and Robert Woods as well. All right, very well. And uh, you know, the one team that we have to watch out for um, in that division as well because they're dealing with injuries. I don't, you know, they they do have a bye week in week eleven, so this could very much play into the decision to bring either of these players back. Uh, you know, San Francisco San Francisco sorely missed all of their offensive weapons. Richie James was the beneficiary this past week, but no Brandon Ayuk, no Kendall Bourne, no uh, Debo Samuel because of the injury. Still no Mostert. You know, I don't know what's going to happen with San Francisco. We know, you know Jimmy Garoppolo and George Kittle are out for a while. 
it's not looking very good. You know, it was looking bad to begin with with all their players. It's really looking pretty dismal right now for the 49ers. And, you know, I think a point that you made, though, that this is a game that the 49ers, if they have any inclination to actually be involved for the playoff run this year uh, in the NFC, they're going to need everybody on deck that they can. But I don't know if they rush these players back as soon as this week. That's something that people are going to have to watch out for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, normally, you know, you have a bye week following and you think, okay, just, you know, let the players sit, then the bye week, and then coming out, you're giving several weeks for the players to get healthy. But I'm not sure the 49ers have that luxury. So I'm kind of keeping my eye on um, on Debo and Mostert uh, as two players that, you know, they really need to return, especially without Kittle. Um, you know, Yuke's uh, a good player, but, you know, I think he's definitely better used if they have Debo and they have Mostert for the ground and pound. I, I just don't think it works without Mostert. Uh, the running game, as much as I like Hasty and McKinnon's a good receiving back and he's an okay player, um, for them to do what they want to do, they kind of have to have Debo and Mostert back in the lineup. So I'd be keeping my eye out on that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked to your point if they just said we're going to hold those players out uh, until after the bye week. So something to keep your eye on. All right, so we, we have to talk about it because uh, it, is a, it is a division in the NFL and in the NFC, and it's the NFC East. So uh, <laughs> uh, you and I both kind of had the feeling that uh, the Washington football team would be the ones to kind of potentially come in here and, and, and take this division. Now, we've talked about the Giants all year, though. They've been competitive each and every week, and you know the second gruesome uh, leg injury for a quarterback in this division, we saw it this week with Kyle Allen. He's now out, and believe it or not, Alex Smith is going to be the guy quarterbacking this team with uh, Haskins backing him up. Uh, you know Terry McLaurin, you know, he'll be fine no matter who's throwing him the ball, uh, but Washington lost a tough game. The Giants are still in the, in the mix here. Who's going to win this division? We have no idea. But this fantasy relevance, you know, wherever we look in this division, I think with Philadelphia, they get Dallas Goddard back. They come off the bye week. Um, Miles Sanders is back. Jalen Rager's back. I, I think the Eagles are poised to do some things now. They they get the beneficiary having this bye week and getting a little healthier. Uh, I know that offensive line has been beat up. Dallas gets the bye week this week. They are beat up on all fronts, although they did have a competitive game this week. So, after this past week, you know, have any of your feelings shifted about what's going on in this division? What do you have confidence in here? What players do you like? I mean, is this is this just the Eagles' division to take at this point in time because they are probably with the better weapons offensively than anybody else in this division? What is your take here? Is is, is this this injury to Kyle Allen is that a step back for this for this offense? And does that kind of hurt the Washington football team? And is it possible even? Dare I say, no Barkley, but could the Giants possibly be part of the mix here? The Giant defense has come to play each and every week. Like you know, again, I'm very impressed what they've been doing. They have stayed in every game they have been playing. Yeah, I mean, no doubt um, that the division is still wide open. I think the Kyle Allen injury it does hurt. Washington football team uh, you know I think it's just going to take Alex Smith a little bit uh, to get back you know into being a formidable NFL quarterback in the meantime if you look at the Eagles um, they have Carson Wentz they have Miles Sanders coming back and then probably more importantly or as importantly is Dallas Goddard if he can get back um, and be you know one of those really top five to seven tight ends without Ertz, which he's certainly capable of. Um, and then they have some, you know, Travis Fulgham is just, he's a, he's really entering, I think, wide receiver one category and Rieger back as well. And Ward's an okay player. So, yeah, the, the, the offense, if you look at it clearly with the Giants losing Barkley and Cowboys losing Prescott and Elliott being banged up as well, and and the, and the Washington football team kind of being shorthanded on offense. Uh, even though I like Gibson and McCorn is, is is a terrific player, the Eagles have the potential to have more skilled players on offense that are ready to roll. So at this point, with those guys coming back, 
probably a, a pretty good size advantage to the Eagles at this point. Well, who do you take? I, I don't trust. I don't trust them, but it's still probably a good advantage. So, so given the fact that Rager's back, Dallas Goddard's back, who, who's? How do you see that passing game kind of sorting out? Is Fulgham continue to be the kind of the number one beneficiary? I mean, I actually read somewhere where <laughs> there was a mention of Alshon Jeffrey potentially practicing this week as well. I just can't see a situation where Jalen, uh, sorry, where, um, where where Travis Fulgham gets taken out as the number one receiver in this offense. Do you do you agree with that? No, 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 and more importantly, you know, listen. A lot of this is like, you know, beat writers and things you hear and things you read and all of that stuff. But when you watch the Eagles play, the one thing is crystal clear is that Carson Wentz has a tremendous amount of confidence in Travis Fulgham. He looks to him early, often in the red zone, all over the field, 50-50 ball. Travis Fulgham is a must-start Every single week, no matter who the Eagles are playing, no matter who's playing for the Eagles, no matter Jeffrey comes back, Rieger's back, Goddard's back, doesn't matter. Miles Sanders is back. Travis Fulgham is um, an absolute must start. But uh, they have potential to really put up good numbers offensively. But their defense, I don't trust. And I'm not sure Carson Wentz is going to make it through the season. I just fear the way he plays that position. Um, he just takes a lot of unnecessary hits and uh, just something to keep your eye on. But, yeah, I mean, at this point, with those players all coming back, the offense for the Eagles is just much better than the other offenses. Uh, last question I have for you. I mean, is it possible that Dallas comes back from this break? And Andy Dalton's uh, dealing with a combination of a concussion and COVID. Um are we talking about a potential quarterback controversy with the Cowboys uh, to finish out this season, or is that a little bit of a reach? I think if the Cowboys had beaten the Steelers, maybe. But I think, you know, the fact that they lost that game and they signed Dalton and he kind of, you know, got knocked out and it wasn't, you know, he didn't play great. But I think they want to see more of a sample size from Andy Dalton before they would consider doing anything. So, uh, you know, I think I think Dalton will be the guy see how it plays out. And um, out of all those players on the Cowboys, I'm still confident in CeeDee Lamb. Uh, and I think with look, he had a great fantasy game with the fourth string quarterback against the best defense in football, CeeDee Lamb I'm talking about. So I still have the utmost confidence in CeeDee Lamb with Andy Dalton quarterbacking. So uh, I, I'm good with that player. I hope, you know, he, you know, guys didn't panic and drop him. I think he could be fantasy relevant down the stretch as far as I'm concerned. The Ezekiel Elliott pilot situation, I think, is a little bit more tricky because, I don't know, I'm worried about the injury status and at some point, if they're going to shut Elliott down or um, if that's going to, you know, it looked like clearly he was 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 battling to stay on the field and uh it's it's a concern if you have Elliot and Pollard like we do, uh, and I do in other leagues as well, that they're both out there. Like you either want Elliot to be playing at almost hundred percent where you can be confident in him, or like okay, he's got to sit this game, and then you could start Pollard with confidence. But the way they went about it the last game, and I fear that it may happen a few more times. Oh my goodness! I think it's even you can't even start Ezekiel Elliott with confidence. Yeah, it looks uh, it looks a little tricky right now. He doesn't look like the same player, as you mentioned. He's battling through injury. We already know it's a compromised offensive line. So it's been a tough year in the running back position. If you think about all those guys where they were ranked coming into the season and how it's actually worked out, boy, <laughs> who would have thunk? You know, you know the players that were drafted say ranked number, you know, anywhere between one and 10 and how it's shaken out in terms of production and fantasy this year. Those have been two opposing stories. That's for certain. Yeah. I mean, if you think, if you go back to snake drafts, just think about how the first round went first pick Christian McCaffrey disaster. Second pick Ezekiel Elliott disaster. 
Third pick, Saquon Barkley, disaster. Fourth pick, based on the hype from, from Peter King and these other guys, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, a complete disaster. So you're almost better off in a situation at a snake draft to be drafting. Oh, and by the way, Mike Thomas, disaster. Austin Eckler, a disaster. So unless you, you, you drafted Kamara or Cook, um, you probably hit a landmine. Uh, with your first round pick. Yeah. Not good. It's been tough. It's definitely been difficult. So, all right. So that's a wrap on our recap of week number nine. Uh, Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast will be back with you on Thursday. We have a big intra-division game with the Indianapolis Colts and the Tennessee Titans, the two teams that will be battling for that division. So that's when we'll Did be back. Did you line on that game, by the way? I have not seen it yet. What is it? I think a stab at that line. Titans at home against the Colts. Titans lay four. Two. Two. Okay. Interesting. Only two, huh? Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, we'll talk a little bit. We'll see. We'll, we'll watch that line to see if it moves. But, uh, Wiz, I wish you a good evening. A uh, lot to cover here. It was an enjoyable conversation as always. Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud. Make sure you are subscribing. And, Wiz, I wish you a good evening. It's like a summer evening here in New York. So, try and enjoy it. Good to see you.